0: Uh, We're starting recording. We're going to have time for Q&A at the end of the program. All of the materials, as I mentioned before, there is a PDF file of this presentation that Sarah just put up on the website a few moments ago, so you can access it there now and into the future. We will also have a a handout, a um, a two-page fact sheet that we produce for each one of these programs that has also been posted to our website, and if you're on our mailing list, then you will be getting that as well as an invitation to the next program. Uh, if you don't get it already and you would like to, the email address is, is Sarah, S-A-R-A, at L-T as in Tom, C-C-C dot O-R-G. Uh, and then lastly, for ombudsman volunteers in New York State, if you would like us to let your supervisor know that you attended this program, Please stay on to the end of the program. There is a a link that we have for a very short survey that you can take, and then we will forward that information on to each of the local Amazon programs. So without further ado, we're going to get started on today's program. I just want to mention, and I will um, probably mention this a couple times, as you can imagine, uh, there are a lot of requirements in regard to uh, abuse and neglect and exploitation in nursing homes we've tried I'm going to try to cover some of the ones that I think are most um, relevant but there's plenty of them we have more information always on our website again that's nursing home 411.org and also I realize that the program is pretty uh intensive in terms of there's a lot of substance but there's no reason to worry about taking notes or remembering everything as I said before we have a fact sheet that summarizes some of the most, um, some of the most important details and then this program itself, the PDF as well as a recording of the program will both be available, available excuse me, on our website. They're free to use, free to share any way that you see fit and to any extent that I or LTCCC can provide you with technical assistance, um, you know, we'd be happy to do that in the future. So, As usual, I'm going to start off a little bit about us and about the nursing home requirements and the nursing home reform law. So LTCCC, the Long-Term Care Community Coalition, we are a nonprofit organization. We're entirely dedicated to improving care and quality of life for people who live in nursing homes and other long-term care settings. Our focus is policy analysis and systems advocacy in both New York State and nationally. And in addition to that work, we um, try to do as much as we, as we can in activities like this to educate consumers and families and ombudsmen and other stakeholders who work with residents and their families to help them know what the regulations, what the standards are, what the law is, and how they can use that to advocate for themselves. And then just a little bit about me. I've been with the coalition since 2002 of my 15th anniversary in November, And I've been the executive director since 2005. But what we're going to be talking about today is I'm going to, as I always do, start off with a brief background on the nursing home system, how it works, and nursing home reform law. And then the focus today is on requirements for ensuring that residents are protected from abuse and neglect. So a little bit about the nursing home system. So almost every nursing home in the country participates in Medicaid and or Medicare. And when we say participate, that's the um, that the, w- the word that the government uses. That means that they accept Medicaid or Medicare, usually both, for some of the, the care that they provide in their facility. In order for a facility to participate in Medicare or Medicaid, it agrees to meet all of the standards provided for in the nursing home reform law. That's the reform law from 1987. Now, states can have additional protections, but no state can have less protections. So everything that I talk about in these programs, including today's program, goes to the federal requirements. Uh, If I ever discuss anything that is a state requirement, I will mention that it specifically applies to that state. Importantly, federal protections are for every single resident in the facility, whether you're a Medicaid resident, whether you're a Medicare resident, private pay, your uncle pays, doesn't matter. Everything that we talk about goes to goes, every protection excuse me. goes to care for everyone. I'm just gonna mute everyone again because it sounds like we had some people that oops excuse me joined us and I want to make sure that everyone can hear. Just one second, please. Okay. There we go. Okay. And then lastly, the federal agency, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, they contract with every state, usually it's the Department of Health, the Department of Public Health. Here in New York, it's the State Department of Health. And they, for two things. One is that they contract with the states to pay nursing homes for their Medicare and Medicaid residents. Uh, and they also pay those agencies to ensure that residents are protected, that all of the the requirements that we talk about are realized and it's supposed to be for every single resident, every single day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks out of the year. Um, This is something that is a very important issue for us. It's not just that residents are protected and that those requirements are met when the surveyor is, you know, the nursing home inspector is in the facility, that this is happening all the time for residents. That's what we pay for, and that's certainly from our perspective, and I hope from everyone's perspective, what every resident deserves to have. So a little bit of a background about the nursing reform law. Again, this is from 1987. It's still in effect. Um, the law requires that every nursing resident is provided the care and quality of life services sufficient to attain and maintain his or her highest Practicable physical, emotional, and social well being. And the reason why I emphasize that, uh, as those of you who have been on the program before, to me it's a mouthful to say highest practicable. What does that mean? That means that it's the highest attainable for that person, that resident, as an individual based upon her clinical status, based upon his needs and desires, etc. Um, so it means that what, what, is, what they are able to do, what they are able to achieve, given what's going on with them clinically, and conversely, it means that they should not diminish emotionally in terms of their social well-being and, of course, in terms of their health and clinical well-being because the facility did not provide the services necessary. Uh, I like to use an example of my Aunt Hilda, who was in a nursing home for many years at the end of her life. And she used to go, she was in her 90s, and she would go for occupational therapy. And they would walk her, you know, help her walk up and down the, the hall. I think it was a couple times a week. And my aunt and my mother used to laugh about it because she was in her 90s and she was not going to have a, a, another occupation again in her life. But what that means is, and what they were doing is, they were providing her with the services that she needed to ensure that she did not lose the ability to walk. She she was able to walk, and there was no reason for her to lose the ability to walk. So it's just one example, but I think it illustrates that's what we talk about in terms of highest practicable, and that's what every resident has a right to expect. So the nursing Reform Law, as I said before, passed in 1987 the well, regulations came out about 4 years later in 1991. So what's happening now and one of the reasons why we're doing these programs now is that for the first time in 25 years the entire federal regulatory system is being revised and updated and this is going to affect everything that goes on in a, in a nursing home in terms of resident care, resident services, how we evaluate how a, res, a me, how a nursing home is performing for each of its residents, et cetera. So this is really, I, I, I can't understate how, um, overstate, excuse me, how important I think this is. And here are a couple of reasons. One, that all the regulations are changing. So for 25 years since 1991, everyone, the nursing home, the surveyor, the, was the inspector, ombudsman and advocates, we all knew what the rules were, we know where to find them, and now that's all changing. So that just structurally is going to make things I think much more difficult at least for the next couple of years for people to know uh, and be able to access well what should be going on here what should what should I be expecting? All of the guidelines are changing, so the guidelines are what it's called sub regulatory language. basically guidelines detail what is expected when we talk about a regulation, we talk about a standard so for instance, when we say that you know, the regulation says that every resident with dementia uh, is supposed to be receiving the care and the services that he or she needs, again, to achieve his or her highest practicable well-being, emotional, physical, etc. So what what that means, what the guidelines will say, is that there are certain expectations in terms of activities. There's certain expectations in terms of how we treat someone who has so-called behavioral symptoms of dementia. That um, we don't just give them drugs. That there are requirements in the guidelines for non-pharmacological approaches to care. And that's something we've talked about in the past, and and we'll certainly talk about again. We have a terrific uh, toolkit in, on our website for dementia-related um, standards and advocacy. But that's just one of the ways in which you can see it really flushes out. So. It's not just provide good care for people with dementia, it's we expect you to be undertaking um, non-drugging approaches to helping people with dementia, helping them to lead good lives, helping them to overcome when they're upset or or acting out in some way. Next, the, the nation's survey system is changing. So starting this November, all state survey agencies across the country will be utilizing a new survey process. And then lastly, the F-TAG system is changing. Uh, F-TAGs, when when a surveyor goes into a nursing home and is looking to see if they are meeting the standards, each regulatory standard has an F-TAG assigned to it. So if I see that someone is being, say, chemically restrained, being given a drug to sedate them, um, that that was always called F-222. So you imagine that you're, you're an inspector or a surveyor and you go in there, you know immediately – where, where to find that tag, what it means, and how to cite it. The reason why I mention it here, why I'm, why I'm taking the time to do it now, is because that also is changing. All the old numbers will be gone as of November, excuse me, November 28th of this year. So what concerns me, and what I wanted to express here, is that you have a situation now where the language has changed. It's in another place in the regulations quite often. The guidance has changed. And the FTAG system, so it's going to make it much more difficult, I think, to uh, efficiently identify and cite problems. And one of the issues that we've always seen as advocates and as policy researchers is that there tends to be a significant under-citation of problems. The problems exist, but they're not often cited. So we're concerned as advocates that that could be exacerbated, uh, particularly over the next coming years, as people get used to the system. That's why I wanted to take a few minutes just to let you know, no reason to memorize what F-tags are, et cetera, but I wanted to give you a sense of why these things are so important. Oh Here, why does it matter? Because we do have, I think, stronger rules. Hopefully we will have improved enforcement down the road, and then that we you know, hope at some point will lead to better resident care. Before I move on, I wanted to mention also that even though the regulations have changed substantially, a lot of the language has changed, the guidelines, et cetera, all of the residents' rights that have existed for the past 24, 25 years, excuse me, in regulations, now 26 years, excuse me, since 1991, none of them have gone away. So any resident right that you had, uh, that you knew you had last year or that you read about in language from last year or 10 years ago, that still exists. Nothing has has been taken away in terms of residents' rights. If anything, quite often it's been, um, it's been explained, it's been elucidated more so that hopefully in the future people will be able to realize it better for, for their residents. So in a nutshell, why is this information important? It's important. The reason why we're doing these programs is because we want people to be prepared and to know what our rights are, what your rights are, as these changes are implemented and beyond, because that process, I I fear that a lot of residents will be put into even more precarious situations. So a little bit before we get started with the um, the subject today, a little bit about what we're going to be doing with this program and what we'll do with all the programs is I'll talk about some of the federal language, some of the new language you'll see, as well as what's existed for 25-plus years. We'll summarize some of the important points, and then at the end, we'll have the fact sheets. And actually, I use the fact sheet as, as a way to summarize some of the important points that we talk about. And again, all of this information is, is or will be on our website in the next two days. So there's no need to worry about remembering. What I really want to do with these programs, for those of, those of you who are able to attend live, and we appreciate that, is to really plug in with you on what's going on, why this is something that, uh, or these are things I should say that are important for um, resident advocacy, for quality of care, etc. And so that you know that these resources are available in the future. So the standards that we're going to be talking about today are requirements for protecting residents from abuse, neglect, and exploitation. The focus really is on uh, some of the most relevant abuse and neglect requirements. Why are we talking about these requirements? Some of you, or probably everyone here has heard on the news recently about the Florida Nursing Home, and here I have, you know, the Fox News headline, Florida Nursing Home Deaths, Criminal Investigation, two headlines in orange in the middle. There was a report just that came out just about a week or a week and a half ago from the U.S. Office of Inspector General for the Department of Health and Human Services. They issued what they call an early alert because they were finding uh, and looking at Information and data on nursing home residents that were sent to the ER and that looked like they were the subject of abuse, including sexual abuse, some of these residents. That 25% of those cases were not reported as required by federal and state law. So they they they're still doing that analysis, but they they were so struck. By what they were finding, that they issued what they call an early alert to CMS, the federal government, saying we need to be doing something about this. And then, lastly, CNN did a, and this is just you know a few of the many, many reports that we see. But lastly, CNN had a report a couple of months ago: sick, dying, and raped in America's nursing homes. And that's unfortunately uh, an issue that we we are hearing more of of sexual abuse going on. In nursing homes and certainly there's other types of abuse going on as well uh, and fundamentally as i put at the bottom um we're talking about this because too many nursing home residents suffer abuse and neglect and far too often it's unrecognized and unaddressed no one's held accountable for it so here are some of the federal requirements for freedom from abuse and that's how they put it freedom from abuse uh, neglect and exploitation so at the top here I have, and again, this is going to be on the fact sheet, I always give people 42 CFR is from the Code of Federal Regulations. I always want you to have what the code is so you're not saying, oh, you know, Richard said this or some guy did a training on it. You can always go back to the code. It's always there to see that, you know, this is, this is based in the law and based in the regulation. And then for your information, that's the new FTAB, the F600, FCF tag that I mentioned earlier that's changing as well. So, for instance, if you're in the future, you're looking at it at your nursing home, nursing home in your community, et cetera, and you want to see if they've been cited for this, you can come back to our materials to see what the requirements are, what they spell out, and what the citation is to see if that, uh, if that has happened to your nursing home. And just lastly, as you can see on the side, anything that you see in orange in these and the next several slides, That's all new regulatory language. So I highlighted that in this way, so you can really see how the federal government is trying to, I think, um, really address some of the issues we see in a way that strengthens the standards or the implementation, hopefully, of those standards now and into the future. So basic federal requirement. The resident has the right to be free from abuse, neglect, misappropriation of resident property, and exploitation. It includes, but isn't limited to, corporal punishment. You're being hit, being pushed, etc. Involuntary seclusion, any physical or chemical restraint not required to treat the resident's medical symptoms. I added some things here that I thought were important. Next, uh, one is the intent of the federal requirement. This is again from the federal language. You can see everything in italics is not what I'm saying. It's what the, the CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, is saying either in the regulation or in the guidelines. And here, the intent of this federal requirement, quite simply, is each resident has the right to be free from abuse, neglect, and corporal punishment of any type by any period. So really, the rest of what we're going to talk about today is well, what does that mean? What does that mean when we talk about resident-on-resident abuse or, you know, someone hurts someone else? What does it mean if it's, you know, if it's staff and the staff person reacts to a resident or says he or she reacted to a resident by slapping or pushing her? Um, what, what does that mean? So we're going to talk about that, but basically it's right here. Every resident has the right to be free from abuse, neglect, and corporal punishment of any type by anyone, period. I added below some of the key elements of non-compliance for abuse and neglect an important very important component of all this of course is that how are nursing homes going to be held accountable for meeting these these requirements for their residents so what I included here I thought this was really valuable the facility is basically these are the elements of non-compliance so what should What does the surveyor look for? What should we be looking for? The facility failed to protect a resident's right to be free of any type of abuse, including corporal punishment and neglect, that results in or has a likelihood to result in physical harm, pain, or mental anguish. All three of those things, physical harm, pain, mental anguish. Or the facility failed to ensure that a resident was free from neglect when it failed to provide the required structures and processes in order to meet the needs of one or more residents. And I thought that was really uh, interesting and valuable, because it's talks about the required structures and processes. It really, I think, puts the ball entirely in the court of the nursing home to say, you know what, you have control of who you are. You have control of the physical uh, building, the physical plants, the services, who comes in, et cetera. You have to, you know, this is a very vulnerable population. You have to have the structures in place. You have to have the processes in place. You have to, you know, these people are generally very vulnerable 24 hours a day. You have to make sure that they are protected. I wanted to include some definitions here, as you can see on the side. So what are we talking about? What is CMS telling us as consumers and as advocates? What are they telling government officials? What are they telling nursing homes? This is what we mean. So abuse—it's the willful infliction of injury, unreasonable confinement, and by that, you know, it means that sometimes people are put in a room because they may be annoying, they may be, uh, you know, having behavioral um, issues that they're acting out in some way, and they could be. I've heard about this before—that if someone is sent, you know, is wheeled into a room and the door is closed, and that's it—that's unreasonable confinement. They're intimidated. Free from, excuse me, from intimidation or punishment, with results in physical harm, pain, or mental anguish. Again, mental anguish. It's just too often, I think, we hear that you know, if it's not a physical, uh, if it's not a, a physical injury, that it doesn't count. But CMS, as you can see, is saying over and over again, mental anguish. Abuse also includes the deprivation by an individual, including a caretaker, of goods or services that are necessary to attain or maintain physical, mental, and psychosocial well-being. So, again, it gets to that physical, mental, and psychosocial well-being. That is what every resident is entitled to. And here, what they're saying is that abuse includes not providing that, failing to provide that. I put in bold, and this is new language in orange, instances of abuse of all residents, irrespective of any mental or physical condition, cause physical harm, pain, or mental anguish. It includes verbal abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, and mental abuse, including abuse facilitated or enabled through the use of technology. What are we talking about here? Two things. Uh, In the first sentence, irrespective of any mental or physical condition, that means that if you have someone with dementia and you speak to them disrespectfully or in a humiliating way, CMS is saying here and in other places in the guidance and in the regulation that that person counts. That you have to consider that person as a, uh, as a person that, that might be, you know, that would have the cognition, et cetera, to understand that just because, let me put it another way, just because a person may not understand doesn't mean that it's okay to speak to them disrespectfully. It doesn't mean that it's okay to be Emotionally abusive of them because they may not they may not be able to comprehend it. That is not relevant. What's relevant here is the is the abusive behavior. And then secondly, when we talk about the use of technology, that we're seeing more and more, uh, unfortunately, and it's very upsetting to me, uh, and I'm sure to others, we're seeing more of these cases where people, you know, the nurse aides or others are using Snapchat to take humiliating pictures of residents, uh, sometimes residents who are in a, um, sitting in, 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 in their waist and feces, uh, sometimes residents' um, genitals, etc. So that is a form of abuse. And again, it has nothing to do whether, whether or not the resident is capable of understanding or capable of comprehending that he or she is being embarrassed or humiliated. What matters is that this is done and it's a bad thing. Uh, so quickly I'll go through the other, um, the other definitions here. Neglect is the failure of the facility, its employees, or its service providers to provide goods and service to a resident that are necessary to avoid physical harm, pain, mental anguish, or emotional distress. And again, you know, this is an issue that, that I know I've been thinking about and talking about for years, and I remember there was one case, uh, a deficiency that I came across many years ago that the resident was, uh, Her doctor diagnosed her as being deaf and uh, prescribed a hearing aid for her. And eight months after the doctor had done that, the surveyor came in and she noticed on the medical record that she had not ever been given a hearing aid. And that was cited as not causing the resident harm. And I think to myself, and I've said this to others. And can you imagine being moved to a nursing home, being in this strange place? Uh, think about your typical nursing home setting, and you have a roommate, et cetera. You, you know, your TV is, you know, probably a big thing for people. Obviously, you know, any opportunity you have to communicate and talk with the people who care for you, with other residents, et cetera. If that is all shut out from you, for you, because you can't hear, and you are so isolated for, for I think it was eight months that is harm um that to me is really clearly harm so i think it's important that that they got it this year again you see all the new language in orange Uh, sexual abuse means a non-consensual sexual contact of any type with a resident and then willful And this is really important because willful is 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 important to abuse willful means that the individual must have acted deliberately not that the individual must have intended to inflict injury or harm, so the difference is, and they they talk about this, I think I include this in some later language but but essentially you know if I do something um, willfully, it means that I am taking the action, knowing I'm taking the action it doesn't doesn't matter whether or not I intended to hurt someone by that action, uh, whereas unwillful means that if someone has a uh, a spasm, for instance. That's not a willful act. What's important there, by the way, just before we move on, is that it really means that the the fact that whoever was the perpetrator of the harm, the fact that they did not mean to cause harm is not relevant here. It's the fact that they actively did something. Here are some excerpts from the guidelines that I thought were important. One, right on top, all in bold, what is the facility responsible for? The facility must provide a safe resident environment and protect residents from abuse, period. And then what I included here, because I thought this was really interesting, facility characteristics associated with increased risk of abuse. And this is what I'm always saying in my advocacy. Not that a nursing home that has one of these characteristics may should automatically be cited, but – it should be a heads-up to surveyors. It should be a heads-up to, to us as advocates, as ombudsmen, as family members, and as residents. You know, what is going on if we're seeing some of these things? So I wanted to include them here. Identified facility characteristics that could increase the risk for abuse include, but are not limited to. Again, this is all CMS language. Unsympathetic or negative attitudes towards residents. Chronic staffing problems. Lack of administrative oversight, staff burnout, and stressful working conditions. Bless you. Poor or inadequate preparation or training for caregiving responsibilities. Deficiencies in the physical environment. And facility policies that operate in the interests of the institution rather than of the residents. So all of these things are, to me, things that we talk about and that we think about and that we see over and over and over again, but I have never before seen them identified in this way by CMSs. This is what we know is associated with poor care. We know that when I go into a resident, when I talk to family members, or when I talk to ombudsmen, or when I talk to residents. Um, they know that, but here we have in a systemic way that CMS is identifying that. So now I'm going to talk about a couple of the specific areas of, of abuse. One is staff to resident abuse. So again, this is all excerpted from the federal guidelines, not things that I've made up or I'm saying. So I want to read it. Nursing homes have diverse populations, <coughs> including, among others, residents with dementia, mental disorders, intellectual disabilities, ethnic and cultural differences, speech or language challenges, and generational differences. When a nursing home accepts a resident for admission, the facility assumes the responsibility of ensuring the safety and well-being of the resident. I would like to have this tattooed to my forehead because it would make my job a lot easier. Um, This, to me, it says it all. Um, This is what we expect. This is what we know that nursing nursing homes, of course, have residents with dementia. I can never understand why... um, Why so many nursing homes need training about how they don't know how to care for a resident with dementia, that's most residents. Most residents we know have have dementia. Um, This is part of the population, so it's not an excuse to say, oh, I did not know what to do. Um, Second paragraph, it is the facility's responsibility to ensure that all staff are trained and are knowledgeable in how to react and how to respond appropriately to resident behavior. All staff are expected to be in control of their own behavior, to behave professionally, and should appropriately understand how to work with the nursing home population. All staff. And then here, again, I put it in bold. A facility cannot disown the acts of staff. Period. And then just a little explanation here. CMS does not consider striking a combative resident an appropriate response in any situation. It is also not acceptable for an employee to claim his or her action was, quote-unquote, reflexive or a knee-jerk reaction and was not intended to cause harm. Retaliation by staff is abuse, regardless of whether harm was cited, and must be cited. And that's why I include that in bold, because those of you who are familiar with our organization, we always are looking to ensure that when there is abuse, when there is neglect, why aren't facilities cited to the extent we see abuse and neglect so i was really glad to see that here it says regardless of what the harm was intended the facility must be cited i don't think it could be any clearer here we're going to talk a little bit about resident to resident abuse of any type and this is an issue that is uh, getting more and more attention a resident-to-resident altercation should be reviewed as a potential situation of abuse. When investigating an allegation of abuse between residents, the surveyor should not automatically assume that abuse did not occur, especially in cases where either of both residents have a cognitive impairment or mental disorder. What are they saying here? That if you have someone with dementia or you have two people with dementia and there has been an altercation of some kind, don't dismiss it. This could still very well be an abusive situation. It is a situation that's not permissible. When we dismiss things like that, we're saying essentially it's okay. We're telling nursing homes it's okay. We're not going to cite for it. Here CMS, and again you can see it's all orange because it's all new language here, is saying no. Having a mental disorder or cognitive impairment does not automatically preclude a resident from engaging in deliberate or non-accidental actions. And you can see below, I talk a little bit about that explanation here. In determining whether F600, that's the F-tag, free from abuse and neglect, should be cited in these situations, it is important to remember that abuse includes the term willful. The word willful means that the individual's action was deliberate, not inadvertent or accidental, regardless of whether the individual intended to inflict injury or harm. So here's an example. An example of deliberate willful action would be a cognitively impaired resident who strikes out at a resident with his, within his or her reach as opposed to a resident with a neurological disease who has involuntary movements, muscle spasms, etc., and his or her body movements impact the resident who is nearby. So this is important. Why, why is this important? So here are the two scenarios. If it is determined that the action was not willful, not a deliberate action, the surveyor must investigate whether the facility is in compliance with the requirement to maintain an environment as free of accident hazards as possible and that each and every resident receives adequate supervision. In all these scenarios, again, as I said earlier, the facility, when they take in a resident, they agree to provide the appropriate monitoring the appropriate care to meet his or her needs, and those of the other residents in the facility. The facility may provide evidence. This is, again, from the surveyor perspective, what they're telling the surveyor's inspectors. The facility may provide evidence that it completed a resident assessment and provided care planning interventions to address a resident's distressed behaviors such as physical, sexual, or verbal aggression. However, based on the presence of resident-to-resident altercations, If the facility did not evaluate the effectiveness of the interventions and staff did not provide immediate interventions to assure the safety of residents and the facility did not provide sufficient protection to prevent resident-to-resident abuse. So here, I think CMS is really making clear, and I think this is really important, that even if they had a care plan, even if they did the assessment, that is not enough. This is an ongoing basis of 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 duty and of requirements to protect the residents if the facility i'll read the last part again did not evaluate the effectiveness of those interventions and the staff did not provide immediate interventions to assure the safety of residents then the facility did not provide sufficient protection to to protect residents excuse me uh, to me, that's just it's so, so important that they are really spelling out here, and that's, that's why I wanted, I know it's a lot of, of um, text here, um, but I really wanted to focus and get across that we're hopefully seeing a different way uh, or an, a better way of how we're approaching our expectations and how those expectations are to be met. So I wanted to end with a something else that is somewhat related to this. It's uh, crimes against nursing home residents. And there's, this has been in the news as well with the U.S. Inspector General's uh, alert coming out last week, and it's an issue about which we've been uh, very, very interested in and very concerned about. So, you know, from our perspective, for so many nursing home residents, they walk into the door of a facility And it's it's as if they're no longer citizens or residents of the United States. Um, You know, the the same laws, the same protections that we have as citizens don't seem to apply. And that is not the case legally. Unfortunately, it's too often the case in practice. So the Affordable Care Act, um, so-called Obamacare, established a requirement for people who work in or own a nursing home that's Essentially a duty to report any reasonable suspicion of a crime that's been committed against the resident of the facility. And this applies to everyone, as I said, the owners, every single employee, from the administrative staff to the laundry staff, to the contractors that come in, to, of course, the nurses and the nurse aides uh, to uh, the um, PT uh, staff, etc.. everyone. this applies to everyone, the kitchen staff, etc to every single person, including their agents, and including contractors. When do they have to report? They have to report any reasonable suspicion of a crime immediately. It has to be within two hours if the act or incident that is suspected to be a crime resulted in physical injury to a resident. Otherwise, it's within 24 hours. So they're supposed to do it right away, but if they don't do it within two hours, If they suspect physical injury or 24 hours, otherwise within 24 hours, even if there's no injury, then they can face the penalty. They have have to report to both local law enforcement and the state survey agency, um, the Department of Health. If they don't report, they personally face a fine of up to $221,000. And if the failure to report Results in increased harm to the to the victim, to the resident, or harm to another resident. That fine could be up to three hundred and thirty-one thousand dollars. We and other advocates worked so hard to get this into the Affordable Care Act in two thousand nine, two thousand ten, and we succeeded. Unfortunately, this is not a um, this is not a standard that has been very well implemented. But a week and a half ago, that U.S. Inspector General report. That's what they were talking about. That's one of the things they were talking about. And they said that, you know, this, you need to move on this. And so hopefully we'll see some action. This regulation, this standard has existed for seven years now. Uh, there's more language about it in the new regulation, but I want everyone to know that, that if you, there's a reasonable suspicion of a crime, everyone in that nursing home has a responsibility. And if, if one of the aides tells the administrator the aide still has a responsibility to tell both local law enforcement and the Department of Health, and so does the administrator. So I'm going to end pretty much with a chart that I put together. And we'd be happy to share this It's in some other materials that I put together last week on that Inspector General report. But here's a chart of who is required to, re- to report and why. So you can see the first column. And it shows the, the first line, I should say, shows the regulation and the associated F tag. So the, the first column going down is, relates to any suspicion of a crime. The second column is an allegation of abuse, neglect, exploitation, or mistreatment. So you can see who is required to report to, who they have to report to, and when. And the, the when is pretty much the same, immediately. Um, and within two hours, if there's bodily injury or within 20 hours, if it does not involve a bodily injury. And my guess is, unfortunately, this is going to be a surprise to a lot of people who who may not realize that abuse, neglect, exploitation, uh, whether or not it's um, one suspects it's at the level of a crime, that that has to be reported and it has to be reported fast. So I'm going to summarize really quickly, and this is this is a copy of the fact sheet. It's now on our website, so you're free to download it. Uh, if you're on our mailing list, you'll get copies of this. And if you want to be on our mailing list, again, please email Sarah, S-A-R-A, at ltccc.org, and we'd be happy to send these out to you. So what I, what I just did here is I just highlighted some of the things that we talked about. So the basic, you see on the left-hand side, number one, the basic um, rights to be free from abuse, neglect, and exploitation. Again, the citations of the 42 CFR so that you know what it is that you can look, you know where it is to go if you need more information or you need this validated. Key elements of noncompliance because I thought that was so important. And what are they, what are we looking for in a facility when we say they're not meeting this standard? It's that they're failing to ensure that every resident is free from any type of abuse uh, or neglect, uh, that they're failing to ensure that a resident was free from neglect by not providing the required structures and processes to meet those needs, to ensure that safety. I included the key definitions here, so we have the definition, again, of abuse, how abuse includes the deprivation by an individual or including a caretaker of services or goods that are needed to attain or maintain that person's highest well, um, physical, mental, and psychosocial well-being, excuse me, Uh talks about the instances of abuse, including verbal abuse, sexual abuse, the use of technology um, as a form of abuse, neglect, what sexual abuse means, um, what willful means, because I remember um, that was something that we really stressed, is that abuse itself has to be willful. Neglect does not, but abuse means something that was willfully done. And then on page two, I included those facility characteristics, not just because they're associated with risk or abuse, because they're associated with facilities that uh, I think one should really be concerned about. If you're seeing chronic staffing problems, if you're seeing unsympathetic or negative attitudes towards residents, a lack of administrative oversight, staff burnout, uh, inadequate preparation or training for staff, deficiencies in the physical environment, and lastly, which uh, is so important, facility policies. Operating in the interest of the facility rather than of the resident, well, that should be a signal to all of us, no matter where we are, whether we're the resident, family member, ombudsman, other advocate, you know, someone who's working in in government, uh, including surveyors. Hmm, what is going on here? We need to look a little bit further into this facility because these are some these these are some characteristics that are a, um, a send a sign that something may be going on that's bad here. And then what I did is I just, in a different way, put together that chart. So you can see here first what the requirements are for reporting any alleged abuse, neglect, exploitation, or mistreatment. This is the middle of the second page. And then the requirements for reporting suspicion of a crime against a nursing home resident. So you can feel free. Again, we have this on our website. We're sending hard copies out to our mailing list. But you can use this. You can share this. With resident councils, family councils, um, with other ombudsmen in your programs, with other advocates. If you find, I'll go back up to it quickly, if you find that it's useful and you want to take the text and incorporate it into your materials, I am perfectly fine with that. Use it any way that you see fit. What's important to us is that this gets out there in terms of, you know, protecting residents from abuse and neglect and making sure that allegations of abuse and neglect crimes against residents are identified and reported. So thank you everyone for joining us. Our next program will be October 17th, again at 1 p.m., same dial-in information. We're going to talk about Nursing Home Compare and how you can find and use information about nursing homes using Nursing Home Compare. There's a lot of changes going on with Nursing Home Compare as well that we'll um, talk about. And then at the bottom here, lastly, For the long-term care ombudsman in New York State, as I mentioned before, we're able to to tell your supervisor if you attended this program, just take this survey. It's www.surveymonkey.com forward slash R forward slash LTCCC dash LTCOP1. This will also be on our website, so you can find it there. And then for family members, you know, family council members and family members in New York State, I strongly urge you to connect with the Alliance of New York Family Councils. It's a great group. We're meeting tonight, www.any, F as in Frank, C as in Carol.org. Uh, and then I'm going to open it up for questions and comments. So thank you all very much for attending. I know some people need to get off, but um, we're going to unmute everyone. Yeah, that works.
1: Uh.
0: Hi. So, any questions?
1: Yes, I have a question. Okay. Um,
2: what was the um what, what what was the address for Sarah at ltc if you wanted to get on the mailing list?
0: Sure, it's um Sarah S A S-A-R-A, R A at L as in Larry T as in Tom TCC.org. dot O R G org
1: That's
0: three C's, CCC? Yes, three C's, as in Carol. All right. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. No, Ramsey. Thank you. Sure. Thanks. Any questions? Yes, I have a question.
1: Hi. I have a question relating to the nursing home reform law to attain and maintain highest practicable physical, emotional, and social well-being. Okay. Uh, I know none of us can predict the future, but the Medicaid cuts are very frightening, the potential cuts. And how can that affect that? In other words, suppose they say we can't maintain quality of life services. We certainly can prevent abuse and neglect and exploitation, but we don't have the money to provide X, Y, or Z therapy. Uh, Medicaid has been cut. Uh, what is your response to that, and can we be proactive in preventing such cuts?
0: Um. Well, so that, that, that's a really, that's a really good question. The, I have to tell you that, you know, I, I, I do a lot of reading, and I, I was reading the testimony of um, um, regarding the long-term care ombudsman program in the Senate Special Committee for Aging. I think it was from the late 70s, like 1978, and they were talking then about providers saying that it wasn't fair to hold them to certain Standards because they don't get enough money to provide those services. So my reason for saying that is that we, you know, we've heard this argument now. The '70s is well before my time as a professional, um, but we hear this argument over and over and over again. And you know, my my feeling, frankly, is that the
3: you know, the industry
0: quite often you know they they take in elderly people and people who are you know, with disabilities. Who need 24-hour day professional care, and then they're kind of held hostage. Um, so, but, but as I said at the beginning, when a facility takes in a resident, they are promising that they can provide the care and the services that they need to keep that resident safe and to provide her with the highest um, practical, you know, the care necessary to be the highest practical physical, emotional, and social well-being. So, when it comes specifically to the changes to Medicaid, most of them, I mean, you know, there's different proposals of course, but most of them relate to block granting Medicaid. Uh, so what we'll probably see, and this is something that we're certainly fighting, is that there'll be a diminishment in people being able to long-term care services outside of nursing homes uh because a lot of the monies that the, the you know additional monies over the years that have gone to the state for Medicaid services has been to help people get care outside of a nursing home. Um, but the nursing home care in and of itself has always been a uh, a guaranteed um, you know right. If you need twenty four hour day care and you're on Medicaid, you can go to a nursing home. Uh the other thing is that a facility is making those promises and agreeing to meet their standards, um, period. So if they're not able to do that, they should not be taking in residents. And it, well, we've seen, excuse me, we've seen this happen. I'll
1: give you a citation. A few years ago with the Sibelius versus Jimmo lawsuit,
2: uh-huh. where
1: they were supposed to give patients the services that they needed, and they were only doing it very selectively and limiting services, speech therapy, PT, stuff like that, saying that the patient can't improve enough. Well,
0: and they were. No, 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 no. I don't want to interrupt you, but that, that, that's a different issue. The, the issue with the Jimmo is and I'm not it's Medicare. No, yeah. no, it's not that's not just that it's Medicare. The issue with Jimmo is that CMS was found if I if I understand it correctly, CMS was found to to have been misinterpreting and misrepresenting that's the requirement.
2: Correct. That's so
0: correct. They that were using it that it's right. right. That no, but it has nothing to do with the provider saying, Oh, we don't get enough money to provide good services. There is no excuse for that, and there's never an excuse for that. Um, okay, the so they cannot,
1: that, with Medicaid cuts, say, "Well, like oh, that, yeah. we can't provide yeah. it." Just do the same Correct. abuse. Correct. Okay. I mean,
0: Thank they, they, they can. They will be. They can and they will. Cause they always do that. But they've been doing that for forty years. I know. Um, so you know, the thing is, and and. You know, I, I would encourage you to visit our website. And this is something certainly that we talk about and to talk about more is how do we counter that? Uh, and one Thank way, sure yes, One way that I think is really interesting is that there was a an inspector general study in two, that came out in 2014 that found that even for those Medicare residents, now for Medicaid, the average um, the average reimbursement is about $200 a day. For Medicare. It's between four and eight hundred dollars a day, roughly. Four and eight hundred dollars a day, even for those residents, which providers admit that they're making money off of. They, one out of three of them, excuse me, one out of three of those Medicaid Medicare, I'm sorry, one out of three of Medicare um, uh, rehab patients were harmed between 30 days of entering facilities. And 59% of that harm was a result of uh, inadequate monitoring or poor care. So even, the point being is that even when they're making a lot of money, they're not, you know, they're not being held accountable. And, and too often, uh, one third of the time, according to the U.S. Inspector General, they are not meeting the needs of their residents. Hello. So I hope that's helpful. So obviously a big, big issue. And, um, but I hope that's helpful.
1: It what, you did, oh, what you did today okay. is also,
0: thank you. Oh great, thank you,
1: thank you. Hello? Hi. May I ask a question? Hello? Yes. Okay,
2: What? Uh, how would a facility be, be held accountable and they didn't um, document a fall of a patient who had dementia?
0: How are they held accountable? Be held accountable? There's
2: so much noise. When people mute their phones if they're not speaking? Okay. I'm having a very hard time trying well, the what Q&A. I'll do, what I'll do is I'll mute everyone,
0: and if you want to say something, press star six on your phone. I hope that'll be easier. Just press star six. But I'll answer. I'll try to answer this question. So essentially, you know, a facility is required to ensure that. Every resident is safe. That there are that that there are um, services, and that the physical plant of the building and and the physicality of the building are um, tailored to ensure that safety. That's not to say that things don't happen, but the facility—if it was not, you know—I would say I I can't only speak a little bit because uh, obviously it's not an actual scenario. It's um, it's more a broader question, but I would say that. You know, if a facility, if a person had frequent falls and they had not taken the steps to ensure that that resident was safe, that could be a reason for citing them. Uh, it could be, you know, if a person was, uh, you know, was prone to that or had a physical condition that left them vulnerable to that. Um, that, you know, that and that would be based upon their resident assessment. uh That the care plan should reflect the assessment, you know, including a risk for falls. If that wasn't carried out, that could be a place for, for um, you know a risk that they would have to being cited and potentially penalized for that. But it's you know, it's it's really not possible I think to answer um, you know definitively something like that. But there are avenues. It really depends upon, you know, were they again doing these things necessary. Now sometimes bad things happen um, to everybody, in or out of the facility. But there is a special responsibility for nursing homes and for nursing home caregivers because, of frankly, you know, the, of course, the vulnerability of residents and facilities and the fact that they need 24 hours a day skilled nursing services, and that's that's why they're there. So I'm sorry I couldn't answer more definitively, but I hope that gave you some insights. Uh, any other questions or comments?
2: Yes, Richard, it's Mary Cohen, and Hi. I'm a New I'm a New York State Ombudsman, Hi. and how are you, and thank you for all the work you do. Oh, thank you. My question is regarding um, not so much the regs, but uh, the reports of uh, things that we report and that get investigated by the Department of Health and the, the, the state regulators. I I became very frustrated with one of my nursing homes and the fact that their state survey was very ineffective in in identifying the issues. In fact, I went so far as to actually interview for a job. I'm a retired nurse. So I interviewed for a job with the Department of Health and basically made it impossible for them to hire me because I don't want to work full time. And I told (laughs) them that up front. But I I said, you know, I I told them I was an ombudsman and and they they took an hour to talk to me. And one of the things I learned is that you have to be able to prove something occurred or something is ongoing. And if they're not able to identify it at the time of their survey, then they can't cite it. And it was very frustrating and is there any way I guess I know that they are working on their F tags and how they are going to gather information, but is there any way that we can work with them? And I could tell them how they could identify these issues, you know. Uh, do you understand where I'm coming from?
0: Yes. Um Well, this, this is a, you know, a source of, of frustration for us, and I think, you know, certainly, um you know, probably everyone who, who works to uh, advocate and, you know, protect residents in nursing homes. This, this is, you know, it's an issue, it's frankly, in New York, and it's an issue nationwide that the um, you know, the Department of Health here and elsewhere, they, they tend not, not to do a very good job in identifying problems, and they um, also don't do a good job in identifying when a resident has been harmed as a result of deficient care. I mean, the fact of the matter is that it's, this is not Perry mason And, and, uh, you know, in a nutshell, too many surveyors are told that they have to treat it like they're Perry mason and prove without, within a shadow of a doubt. And that's just not, that's just not the right standard. So what, what happens is, uh, in short, is, I mean, this is something, uh, pretty much dedicated my life to. So I, I you know, that we have a lot of materials and we do a lot of work, you know, reports around this. Which we share with the state and with the federal governments and with other states. But the, um, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that they there is a a burden of proof that that they've imposed upon themselves that is um, not really appropriate in my view, and that does more to protect the nursing homes than it does to protect the residents. And I agree. That's what, yeah, I mentioned in, in one of the examples I gave of the woman. Who didn't have a hearing aid, and uh, for eight months, and it was cited as no harm. And I raised that with um, the head of the nursing home division uh, for the federal government when I met with her a couple of years ago. She's 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 no longer there, but um, she also she shared my um, my frustration. And this, so this is something that you know if you ever go to our website or are ever interested in, you know, participating in in our other, you know, in our work. We have action alerts, et cetera. It's something that that really we're always trying to get at. And, uh, you know, I don't want to keep you or anyone else, but we did a study, uh, you know, a a study um, earlier this year that found that, you know, even when a facility is cited uh, and as you know, you know, know, as as you discussed, it doesn't happen very often, even for facilities with seemingly a lot of problems. They're often not cited but even when they are cited the states only, uh, identify resident harm 5% of the time. 5% of yeah. the time. 95% of the time with a health deficiency, they cite no resident. Harm. And if there's no harm cited, then there's generally no penalty. So, right. that's really, I mean, this is what my organization and what I do. I mean, I try to think, you know, I think all the time, how do we get at this issue because it's, um, it's so unfair and, and it's, the reason why there's so much um, suffering, to be honest, that perpetuates in poor care, that perpetuates in our nursing homes, because nursing homes are not held accountable when they do a poor job. So unless you're someone who really cares, um, you're going to do a poor job. You no, know, right. companies yeah. do what they can, uh, what they can get away with, generally speaking, and that's what we're seeing more and more. Uh, frankly, in my opinion, in the nursing home industry. And it's, um, that's really what we fight against. I mean, we're small and there are other groups like ours that you know, we, we work with as much as possible. But this is, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's, you know, trying to, to help surveyors to understand, um, you know, this is a problem. This is, this is a problem. And if you don't do something about it, it's going to continue to be a problem for more right. and more residents.
2: Right, and, you know, they, right now they're using the excuse that, you know, we're try we're, we're really spending a lot of time on getting what we need to be able to work with their F tags, their, their list of things that they are going to review. That changes everything for them. So they're in a, in a pickle too, but that doesn't make it any easier in the past couple years of being an ombudsman showing up for, for their In entrance and exit surveys, giving them copies of my cases, and nothing is done, and nothing is cited, and it's extremely frustrating. Richard, I don't want to take up everybody else's time, but I would love to get in contact with you. So if I go to your uh, website, can I send an email?
0: Yes, yeah, I think so. that. Thank you.
2: (laughs) You're welcome. Thank
0: you. Sure. Bye-bye now. Anyone else?
3: Um Hi, Richard. Hi, Charles. It's Charles. Hi. I, I did make it in time for Great. the webinar. Um, just to comment on uh, what the caller just said, uh, it's very hard to get the DOH to cite anything. It's true. But uh, there are still ways of working with them that can sometimes work to a resident's advantage. If you can help prepare a resident to make a complaint in an effective manner that will get their attention. You're probably not going to end up with a citation, but what you can often end up with is that the DOH will call the facility and alert them, and uh, that can often uh, go uh, some long ways towards persuading the facility to to uh, get it back together, and, and I've had that happen a number of times. So um, you have to kind of know the lay of the land with the DOH, what they're good for, what they're not good for and uh, how to help the resident or the family member uh, use them at least to some partial advantage, even if we can't get everything we want.
0: Thank you, Charles. Um, thank you very much. Uh, any other questions or comments? Okay. Well, thank you, everyone, for attending today. Uh, I, I hope that you found it valuable. As I mentioned, next time we're going to be talking about nursing and compare uh, it's, I think, the best resource for looking at nursing homes individually, in your community, in your state, and there's some pretty good things happening with improving the information that's on there that I hope will be useful to you. So thanks again, and you will have a nice afternoon.